0: With punctuation marks included. <laughs> like the beat, comma, beat, comma, beat Of the tom hyphen tom When the jungle shadows fall Like the tick hyphen, tick hyphen tuck Of the stately clock As it stands Like the drip, comma, drip, comma, drip Of the raindrops When the summer shower is through So voice within me keeps repeating Colon, quotation mark You, comma You Comma, you, exclamation point, close quotation, period, dash, night and day, comma, you are the one, dash, only you, comma, beneath the moon, comma, and under the sun, semicolon, whether near to me or far dot 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 it's no matter comma darling comma, where you are dash I think,
1: comma. Okay. Night and day you know actually for a comedy song the string charts there are actually really nice um <clears throat> anyway that's the great alan sherman uh taking punctuation To its comedic extreme, Uh, punctuation, of course, is not meant to be said aloud or sung in songs. It exists mainly on the page or the screen. Uh, And we are here to talk about punctuation today with... Uh, a group of distinguished panelists uh, and guests and experts and all that kind of stuff, Uh, starting with Clara Koch-Starkey, the author of Hyphens and Hashtags, the stories behind the symbols on our keyboard. Uh, Also with us uh, are two regular appearers on our show, Julia Pistel, founding member of CT Improv, one of the hosts of the Literary Disco Podcast, a producer who freelances actually with this show, and uh, many, many other things, too many things really to reckon with. Uh, And then Raquel Benedict, who claims to be the most dangerous woman in speculative fiction. Who would want to argue with that? Uh, She's also the host of the Right Good Podcast. That's R-I-T-E-G-U-D Podcast. All right, so here we go. Uh, And uh, I think, Claire, if it's okay, uh, I would love to start with you. One question that some people might have, people maybe uh, who haven't really spent a lot of time Monkeying around with the written word would be. Why does punctuation matter? And and I I want to also just parenthetically appropriately note that it matters enough in your book so that two people actually had a sword fight with short swords <laughs> over punctuation. So there's an indication right now that right there that punctuation matters. But but give us some other reasons to think that.
2: It's true. Well, it's pretty serious. I mean, I, I feel like I have to tell you the outcome of the duel, otherwise. You know, you're right. going to be left hanging. So the duel was over the use of the semicolon. And actually, the guy who favored the colon won because he injured the semicolon guy in the arm. So, um, like I say, I think it shows that some people take this very seriously indeed. Um, but punctuation matters because before punctuation, um, writing just ran in unending strips of letters with no spaces. And so it was almost impossible to read in your head. Um, You couldn't make sense of the text. You didn't know when to take a breath or uh, when a a point ended, or when something was a question, or when you were quoting someone, it was just completely confusing. So I think Mm -hmm. punctuation really developed to help us as readers um, to understand the written word and, and, and also to speak it aloud
1: yeah and i think you know to that point julia Pistel. i i think one of one of your arguments for punctuation is that uh that when you read it on the page it, it is the thing that gives rhythm and cadence and i think you said music to either prose or poetry
3: yeah i did say that i mean imagine music without rests um and that's words without punctuation i mean we all punctuate in our speech and, you know, language is music. It's a kind of music. And to think that it's just this mathematical, precise, you know, robotic thing is um, is a big error. So, yeah, if you get into punctuation, which I have, <laughs> um, it's really like composing. And it's really like telling the reader how to feel. Um, of course, it works in conjunction with the actual words and sounds of the words. Um, but it, it puts rhythm in it. It gives the writer a lot of control over um, the pace and the meter and really the joy of, of the words that they're putting down on the page. Yeah. And so,
1: uh, Raquel, I know less about your overall attitude towards punctuation. Would you describe yourself as a traditionalist or as uh, someone who is constantly advancing punctuation towards some future state that it's not in now?
4: Uh, well, gosh, not not so much either. Okay. I, I have a background <laughs> in linguistics, actually. Mm. So I think a lot of these discussions about grammar and writing, people approach it as though the written form of language is the pure and true form, and the spoken form is sort of this wrong, corrupted, vulgar form. And it's very much the opposite. And what punctuation does, at least when used po- properly, is, as Julia says, gets this written form of language, which to me is sort of a, a dead representation of it, closer to the living spoken form.
1: That's a really great answer. I, I love that answer. So, um, Claire, we should also talk a little bit about where punctuation comes from. As you say, uh, without punctuation, uh, you can just run a whole bunch of words and letters together. Um, but what was interesting to me in your book was that You know, I think we think of writers, the people creating text uh, as the people uh, who are inventing or using or perfecting punctuation. But at least initially, it really wasn't them, right? It was the printing press people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, lots of early punctuation actually started with medieval scribes who were just kind of trying to find shortcuts and, and ways to make their long, drawn out process of copying a text shorter. But a lot of modern punctuation was essentially fixed by typographers who chose which symbols would get cut into type and therefore printed into books and quite often a writer might use one symbol. And then the typesetter would choose a completely different one, so it was it was really them who set it in stone Um, and it wasn't really until. Uh, the kind of early 20th century that you know, any kind of books came out that really set down modern rules of grammar and usage. So, um, it's it's been more down to the pedants than the actual creative writers.
1: And and uh, I just wanted to just also, first of all, the book is is excellent. It's a lot of fun. Um, I'm wondering how self conscious you became about punctuation while writing it. Uh, I think you've made the point that uh, British writers use commas less. That American writers, reading your book, I kept thinking, no, oh, comma, there should be a comma there. Um, and, and you also point out in the book that at a certain point, you had to bow down to the style book uh, of your actual publisher, uh, at least as regards one form uh, of punctuation. In other words, you might have done it a certain way, but publishing houses often have style books. You do it that way. Uh, maybe you can say some more about that, flesh out our, our understanding.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that happens quite a lot. I mean, I write for various different uh, publishers, and also uh, um, I write for magazines and and online um, magazines, and they all have different um, style guides, and you you end up writing something and crafting something that you think works a certain way, but then you need to be aware that obviously each publisher has their own style guide and are going to change what you've put. And sometimes there's battles that I will fight with my copy editor over certain things like personally, I love an end dash um, and I quite often use them instead of brackets. And some copy editors really hate them and will will take them all out of my work. Um, And that's one that I'll always say, could you put the end dashes back in, please, because I personally really like them. I think they're very elegant on the page. Um, And I think. You know not all style guides agree and so you'll see that there's a lot of difference like uh the, the the thing that i was referring to in my book that i wasn't allowed to use and was only used once in the whole book is the uh oxford comma or serial comma which is a huge um issue for lots of people very pe- lots of people feel very passionately about it Um, And in that, the two kind of biggest American style guides, the Associated Press and the Chicago Manual of Style, disagree on its usage even so. It's a contentious
1: issue. Yeah, this is so contentious that I think we have to pull our other guests mm-hmm. in on this. And mm-hmm. I, I I should say that I was taught the term Harvard comma, and I was taught it when I started working in the newspaper business. An editor looked up at me and said, that's called a Harvard comma, and you use it all the time. But just to help people understand uh, this, you know, the, the the Harvard comma, Oxford comma, serial comma, that's uh, on his arc, uh, Noah had goats, comma, pigs, comma, and snakes. Uh, or, or there's no comma after pigs, depending on which side of the, the line you fall. So, Julia, I heard you uh, perk right up
3: <laughs> yes, when this came up. I, so go, go to of town. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I feel like having an opinion on this is, you know, I, I have an MFA and you got you got to weigh in. You can't be neutral. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel that Oxford commas are uh, harm no one, and help everyone. So why not? Why not use them? I have never heard a good argument against them. Uh, Maybe Claire's got one, but I think that um, punctuation is meant to create understanding and not misunderstanding. And there's just so many thousands of examples of when the lack of a serial comma has created confusion or hilarity um, that we should leave them in. Um, There is a whole like best-selling book about it, Eat Shoots and Leaves, um, that I think a lot of people bought at the checkout at Barnes & Noble at the last second in the 90s. Um, and we should, we should use them. I'm a big fan uh, and I use them all the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, the example Claire uses, I think, is something like he dedicated the book to his parents, Ayn Rand and God. Uh, <laughs> and, and So you kind of need that that serial comma, that Oxford comma in there to make make it clear that Ayn Rand and God didn't do it uh, and produce this particular person. Because um, I think that would be blasphemy on a number of levels. Uh, so, but Raquel, what about you? Where do you fall on this question?
4: I am very strongly pro-Oxford comma, at least in part because in 2017 or 2018, a group of workers filing a class action lawsuit against a main dairy company over an overtime dispute of, of wage theft ended up winning, I believe, a $5 million settlement because of the oxford comma. I don't know the details, but basically the company omitted a comma when in in a clause when they'd otherwise used oxford commas throughout the rest of the document. And because of that, the workers won their lawsuit. So the oxford comma is an ally to the proletariat. I have no choice t- but to support it. Yeah,
1: hire hire a contract lawyer who went to Oxford or Harvard apparently is the <laughs> is the lesson we take away from this. So Claire, is there a compelling Anti-Oxford comma argument to be made in, in in these debates?
2: You know, I wish I had a compelling one, but I have to say I am a fan of the Oxford comma, and and I was very disappointed that my publisher didn't issue uh, them. Um, I I think it's purely because probably certainly in British publishing there is, tends to be a real theme of less is more, so like uh, any punctuation, it's meant to be a real light touch. Um, and the Oxford comma is seen as sort of old-fashioned, um, but I think, it, as um, Julia and Raquel both said, you know, it brings clarity, and anything that brings clarity is a definite must for me.
1: Yeah, I I, I I wish we could have a good, you know, rousing debate about this, but I still favor it. I think, for all of the reasons we were just talking about, that it's it's helpful. I want I want my reader to be clear about what I'm saying, so I'm I'm putting that comma in there. Okay. Uh, Now, let's move on to semicolons. And before we even get our guests to talk about this, a few months ago, I was talking to the novelist Lauren Euler, who happens to have some pretty strong opinions about semicolons and pretty much everything else. Uh, Here's what she had to say at that time.
2: I mean, I love all punctuation, but I
3: have particular fondness for semicolons. Maybe it's my sort of reactionary nature. And I think semicolons get particularly... Hated upon in in grammar discourse, right? And I think there's a, a long history of, of writers condemning use of semicolon or or very you know cautiously ad, advising people to use them sparingly, like as if as if they're a limited resource. Um, but I think that they are just really fun. I like to make the page a little bit messy, and I, I like to um, create a tenuous sense of connection, which is what I, I sort of think of them in a more like theoretical, spiritual way.
1: <laughs> All right. So that we're, actually the whole idea of making a messy page kind of gets back to what you were saying, Claire, about what uh, editors at certain publishing houses may feel. Nope. Too messy. Too many things floating around here. Too many little marks. Let's get rid of some of them. But the semicolon has an interesting history. And I, I believe we have Italy to thank for the existence of the semicolon? Am I, am I remembering that correctly?
2: Yeah, so initially people kind of realized that you wanted something that kind of was not as strong as a full stop, or sorry, rather a period, as, as you guys say, <laughs> um, but kind of less strong than a comma. And so people kind of experimented with using a kind of slash, um, but that really was quite a lot of ink on the page. And so the, the Italian typesetter, Aldous Minutius, came up with the semicolon shape um, and it's thought he actually got it from a similar mark that was actually used in Gregorian chants. So it was actually from singing, showing where you should take a long pause. Um, and I really love that about the symbol. It's it, it kind of the, the fact that it comes from monks singing um, and the kind of long pause required when you're chanting. It, it, it's just a really beautiful story.
1: Yes, can we, Julia? Can we agree? First of all, I like semicolons; they're fine. Can we agree that a semicolon, though, can only be properly used between two independent clauses? Right? You need two independent clauses that are being rather than having them being set off by periods or full stops. uh, We're using a semicolon instead. Is that does that, Julia? Does it fit your understanding?
3: Yeah, that's the standard rule. Um, And I think that where I get into semicolons is really as an advanced comma, like you're making lists, but the ideas are much more complex, you know, that the... I love a semicolon because you're putting two full thoughts next to each other, but you're suggesting that they're just really, really close together without actually telling the reader or the listener, you know, exactly how they're related. They really invite thought. Um, That's how I feel about semicolons. I mean, this is, I mean, we're really nerding out now, but if I see two thoughts um, connected by a semicolon, I'm thinking like, okay, how are they related? How are they connected and what do they suggest it's really such a suggestive little little mark um but yeah you have it has to be a complete thought it can't be a little a little bitty like apples semicolon oranges semicolon and bananas at that point just use a comma and get over yourself
1: um i I want to circle back to a a very salient and upsetting uh violation of the premise that you just laid out there but before that raquel uh how about you Are, are you a radical on this one way or the other
4: Madly in love with semicolons. They're beautiful. <laughs> I love them. They're the perfect non binary punctuation mark. They're wonderful. I think the prejudice against them comes from college writing instructors whose students overuse them because they have, because just like the passive voice, they think, ah, this is how academics write, right? That, that, that's how you sound smart. So I'm going to put as many of these in my paper as possible. And writing instructors see too many of them and get sick of them and just say, no, I don't want to see any of these anymore when when that's not really the way I I think you ought to teach it, it's better to sort of explain the subtleties of how they're used properly and when they're used properly instead of just declaring war against them in this complete way.
1: So, um, Claire, one of the things that I had not known about until I I read the book was uh, that the semicolons are now also used kind of as a metaphor for keeping on, for continuing, for not putting a full stop at the end of both a sentence and a life. There's something called the Semicolon Project. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, it's kind of developed uh, in the early 2000s and, and people started to use the semicolon as a symbol of kind of choosing not to end your sentence. So it was kind of showing that you were going to continue and move on with your life. So it was a kind of positive anti-suicide message and some people who had perhaps considered suicide but hadn't gone ahead decided to kind of have a semicolon as a tattoo somewhere on their body just to kind of remind themselves that they were carrying on. I, I think that's a really positive use of punctuation, a, a different way of looking at
1: Yeah, no, I really like that. Now, here's a weird kind of synchronicity. It's been a week or two of strange synchronicities. But uh, while we were preparing for for this show, I was just catching up on my reading. I was reading the cover story in the August edition of Harper's Magazine. uh, And it actually is about whether or not it's possible uh, to use various kinds of metrics and uh, to predict suicides. Uh, And here's the first paragraph of the story, which Just to sort of keep with our theme, I will read as a Gregorian chant. (laughs) I had heard there was a device in Sweden that could read your palm and tell you whether or not you would kill yourself. Second sentence. Uh, I wanted to try it, semicolon, among other reasons, so that I could find out whether or not I would kill myself. Well, to me, that's an abuse of the semicolon. I wanted to try it, semicolon among other reasons, so that I could find out whether or not I could kill myself. I mean, Julia, I feel like that violates the one rule about semicolons, right? They have to connect two independent clauses.
3: Yeah, I I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying there. I'd love to look at it um, and see how I feel reading it, though. I mean, you clearly felt horrified so i'll have to take your word at that (laughs)
1: well no i think that speaks to your tremendous judicial temperament uh but i
3: think that an m dash would have that's what i would have used and i've Mm -hmm. only known claire for 20 minutes but i think (laughs) she would do the same thing m dashes are they're so magical and i think that m dashes are actually the closest uh or In our speech now, in our speech here in the 21st century, we all use a lot of em dashes. I just used one trying to get that thought out. Uh, (laughs) And so, yeah, I think maybe we love semicolons, but maybe it's less of a semicolon time right now. Maybe it's less of a nuanced time right now and more we're trying to stutter our thoughts out and interrupt ourselves um, and hold multiple things to be true while still propelling forward in time. So. Yeah, let's give
1: that guy an m dash and hope he's okay. So nobody can concentrate long enough to have two complete independent thoughts and connect them with a semicolon. Uh, Yeah, that's my my
3: working theory. What do you think?
1: I love it. I love it. (laughs) It just works for me. Okay, uh, we have just a little bit of time left in this segment, but I I think we would be remiss. If we did not talk about apostrophes and specifically about apostrophe abuse and and claire to your point about the semicolon project tattoos i was able to find on the internet today a picture of a tattooed arm and and this tattoo which is very beautiful and ornate uh has uh the 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 legend losers sometimes win but it's l-o-s-e-r apostrophe s losers sometimes win so here's here's someone who has tattooed a punctuation mistake onto his arm more or less permanently but but say a little bit about the apostrophe what it's supposed to do and why this kind of thing seems to be happening so much
2: i have such mixed feelings about the apostrophe honestly because i do find it i think it's irrational it's irksome it's annoying and yet when i see one used in the wrong way i become enraged so um i I mean i i just think because it 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 developed in such a weird way it just came from um trying to show where a, a letter was missing from of the original latin and then it wasn't until the kind of 17th century that it began also showing possession um i think people just have been confused about what the apostrophe is for and it doesn't help that you know Uh, Street names and company signs have started taking off their apostrophes. So I think people are just becoming less and less used to how to use it properly.
1: Yeah. And I don't know, Raquel, should we just give up? I mean, how many times are you going to drive past a sign that says nightcrawlers are apostrophe S before you just think, "Okay, just (laughs) go ahead, do it the way you want to do it?
4: I mean maybe the my understanding is that apostrophes were sort of artificially smashed into the english language the the possessive for a long time in english that s didn't have an apostrophe before it comes from the german genitive case from from our older more germanic style language so i guess people started my my understanding is that we started using the apostrophe based on this strange idea that the possessive S was an abbreviation, like the idea that John's apostrophe S hat came from John his hat, but that's just not where it actually comes from. It, it, it's this bizarre misunderstanding and a desire to shove Latin rules into a Germanic language where they they do not belong. So as, as much as I cringe when I see a misuse, used apostrophe, if they completely went away, I would not grieve.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, maybe we'll have to end it there. I'm sure listeners and readers will have their own thoughts about all of this. By the way, you can always email me about this. Uh, uh, My email is colin at ctpublic.org. I would love to hear from you. Uh, This is the kind of show that elicits those sorts of reactions. All three of our wonderful guests will be back. We're going to talk after the break about, well, other things punctuational.
0: So
1: ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery.
0: For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash elevatinghealth.
3: We'll see right here, you wrote, Myra had the baby, but
4: you didn't use an exclamation point. So? <laughs> so? It's, yeah, it's nothing. Forget it, forget it. You know, I just found it curious.
0: Wait, what's so
4: curious about it? Well, I mean, if one of your close friends had a baby and I left you a message about it, I would use an exclamation point. Well, maybe I don't use my exclamation points as haphazardly as you do. You
3: don't think that someone having a baby warrants an exclamation point.
4: Hey, look, I just jotted down the message. I didn't know that I was required to capture the mood of each caller.
3: But I just thought that you'd be a little more excited about a friend of mine having a baby. Okay,
4: I'm excited. I just don't happen to like exclamation points. Well, you know, Jake, you should learn to use them. Like the way I'm talking right now, I would put exclamation points at the ends of
2: all of these sentences. On this one and on that one.
4: Well, you can put one on
3: this one. I'm
1: leaving! So there, from Seinfeld, is an example of how much trouble we can get into over something like exclamation points. We're doing a show uh, about punctuation, uh, and here with us is Claire Cox-Starkey, the author of hyphens and hashtags, the stories behind the symbols on our keyboard. And then two of our favorite writers and radio guests, Julia Pistel and Raquel Benedict, are also with us uh, to talk about all this. So, um... Boy, Claire, there's so many ways that we can get into this. Although I do love the idea that you the, the, uh, of there being this person named uh, Ben Blatt uh, who has a book called Nabok- Nabokov's Favorite Word is move where he actually he kept score. Right? He actually went in and looked at who uses exclamation points and how often. What kinds of things did that research turn up? Yeah. So he
2: he uncovered that. Um some writers really love the exclamation mark which is unsurprising and he used them um, kind of proper data analysis to really get into there and look at texts and see who used the exclamation point loads and who didn't and he didn't just talk about exclamation points he also talked about all sorts of punctuation and words that writers use i think it's a really interesting way to look at how the kind of usage of punctuation has changed over the years and how different writers use different points to kind of um, make their writing more flourishing.
1: <laughs> so uh just you know, just to help people uh, blatt reveals that uh, in Jane Austen's six novels she utilizes the exclamation point at a rate of 449 per 100,000 words James Joyce by contrast manages to use the exclamation mark 1105 times per 100,000 words so at more considerably more than double the rate of, of Jane Austen so I don't know Julia there's so much that gets loaded into this question it just it isn't any more Uh, a dialogue about how to use punctuation marks. It's really our personalities, uh, our approach to life, uh, as Julia Louis-Dreyfus is kind of suggesting, uh, as Elaine in that clip, you're saying certain things about yourself depending on how much you uh, use exclamation marks. So tell us a little... Now, you're you're a fairly uh, happy and effusive person. So the stereotype would be you'd be using a lot of exclamation marks.
3: Yeah, so I... That's so funny that you say that because, uh, okay, so we've been talking most about books and literature and history here, but I think we all have to understand and agree that with email and text and all kinds of apps that we're using now, people are actually writing, I would guess, more than ever before. So the way that we're using punctuation, especially as we're writing shorter and shorter amounts, is really, really important. And Um, I think I'm, I got to toot my own horn. I think I'm a really good emailer and a pretty good texter. Um, And exclamation points, they do make their way in because I'm trying to use my voice, my real authentic voice and anyone who knows me or who's heard me on my podcast or the show, you know, like I speak in exclamation points, you would put them in after a lot of things that I say. So sometimes I feel like I, I kind of have to put them in. Otherwise I'm putting on this more corporate voice or um, this more serious voice than I really intend. And I think everyone knows that feeling of like, Oh, I'm sending an email, but I I don't want the person to think I'm going to be mad. Um, (laughs) So you choose the one sentence that could reasonably hold an exclamation point without (laughs) you looking like an idiot. So, yes, I put them in more and more as I get older, which is actually the opposite of what I would have expected to happen.
1: Very possibly. I have to mention two people before we go further. Um, one of them is my editor at Hearst Newspapers, John Brunig, who hates exclamation points like Ahab hated Moby Dick. I mean, it's just like <laughs> he really, really hates them so much. And, and, you know, I'm sort of eager to please him, so I've been trying to avoid using them. But then sometimes I also feel like I want to use them just to see what he'll do about it. Uh, but, I mean, there there are people, and and as Claire points out, one of them, at least allegedly, is F. Scott Fitzgerald, who says, cut out all those exclamation marks. Uh, marks. An exclamation mark is just like laughing at your own jokes. Um, so, and, and Raquel, that's, you know, another part of all this is, uh, everything is two-way or three-way with communication. I mean, if those of us who write uh, do often have to deal with an editor, how the editor feels about it, how the reader feels about it. And as Julia is saying, you know, if we're texting, if we're just using the written word to communicate with people that we know, there are all kinds of ways in which something like an exclamation mark can be freighted with, with forms of baggage. So i just love to hear your take on it all
4: think in personal communication, I don't use them very much just because my, my close friends know me and they know that I tend to be very sarcastic and kind of monotone, but in work emails, I do use them and I have such exclamation point anxiety. (laughs) When I use one, I always worry if I'm sounding phony or if, if I'm sounding too excitable or because i tend to be very monotone am i sounding just completely sarcastic like a total jerk (laughs) if i throw one in (laughs) Mm. i'm definitely in favor of using them in text if that in fiction though if that's the if that's the tone you're going for I've, i've met writers and aspiring writers who subscribe to that uh fitzgerald belief that you should never use an exclamation point in your fiction and i think that's so very wrong, especially seeing how beautifully Edgar Allan Poe uses them in The Telltale Heart. You you could not get that tone of nervous madness and agitation without his gratuitous use of exclamation points and m-dashes.
1: Um, Claire, to wh- whom do we have to thank for the existence of the exclamation mark or point, as the case may be?
2: there's some debate as to how they originated but it is thought that it was possibly due due to um, medieval scribes who when they were writing up uh, scripture they would want to express joy at the passages that particularly kind of filled their hearts and so they would use the um, latin shortening for joy which is io but it kind of over time the i would go above the o and so it started to look like a modern exclamation point um and i love that i think it, it kind of that's what an exclamation point should do it should be those things that bring you joy you add the point to kind of bring the reader's eye to it and to feel that joy from that passage um, and it kind of went on to be become the point of admiration so again it's sort of like <clears throat> something that you think is particularly fabulous you will end with this this point that draws the eye in and and makes you think that it's fabulous too
1: All right, so um, before we run out of time in this segment, we have to address something which I was kind of not aware of, I think because I'm old and clueless uh and and spent too much of my life in the kind of the pre-digital era, too large a portion of my life in the pre-digital era. This would be the kind of thing that I don't get. But Julia, there's some kind of question about whether it means something if one puts a period or full stop uh at the <laughs> yes. end at the end of a text. Help us understand what this controversy is okay, about. Okay,
3: okay. Yes. Um first of all, I'm 38 years old. So I'm not exactly the youngest hippie kid, no,
1: but I'm a hundred I'm one hundred and thirty eight years <laughs> yeah. old, so right. you know.
3: but I do think it is I was hoping this would go here because it's the opposite of everything we're discussing with the exclamation points. So if you use a lot of exclamation points, you might seem to be you know silly or ridiculous, and a period, especially at the end of a text message um or chat or something similar, sounds like you are. It's taken on this weight like i'm mad or i'm very serious about this so uh if you're in a text okay let's say um you text your boss that you're going to be late that day um and if they say come into my office when you get back and there's an exclamation point um obviously we know what that means if but if there's a period there come into my office when you get back period I think a lot of people are going to know exactly what I'm saying here. There's you start to feel anxious, like there's a sense of dread um, that some like let's have a talk conversation is going to happen. So what I think has happened in a lot of messaging um, is just nothing. You just let it dangle. Um, So come into my office when you get back open space into infinity. Um, and that is the new neutrality is no punctuation. And even it's so funny. I'm looking even at our chats in this zoom call that we're on. Um, we're all doing it. Um, there's no periods, there's way less capitalization and less punctuation is coming to, to mean more neutrality and a period is very serious so that's that's the news from the young people colin
1: (laughs) well i I would just like to say that uh, i'm fairly agnostic about this question and i look back and i'm i'm also fairly lazy so i probably don't usually put the period at the end if i don't have to uh i will tell you that one person who does unfailingly is jonathan mcpants uh, one of the other producers of this program Uh, i mean i'm looking at all the texts i ever got from him every single one of them uh, ends in, <laughs> in a period. Um, well, he's
3: really mad at you. Yeah, that's, that's what. That he, means. Or he's really <laughs> mad
1: at everybody. Uh, so, but
3: I do, yeah. I do think that there's. Um, this is really interesting to me because there's a cultural style that has seeped in, and you're saying, "Oh, I'm just lazy," but I would argue that you're absorbing this change in punctuation without even knowing that it's happening, and you can code switch. You probably write much differently in Slack than you do in email um, and and you do in your your blog posts. So you change is happening to you um, punctuationally uh, and you can't fight it. You can't fight it, Colin.
1: That's what they said to Jeff Goldblum in the fly, too. Uh, (laughs) So um, so I don't know, Raquel, any any thoughts about this before we go to a break?
4: I guess it means we're all following Christopher Walken rules. He says whenever he gets a script, he takes all the punctuation out. And knowing that, now I can't help but read everybody's text messages in our chat in a Christopher Walken voice. It's pretty great.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I so want to try to do that right now. But if I failed, it's going to it would sound really bad. So, Claire, I, actually, as we wind this up, uh, this part of the, the conversation up, I mean, what we're really talking about, too, is a kind of – middle ground or at least a different kind of written language to a certain degree. In other words, normal, written, publishable language or le- the language that used to appear when people wrote letters to one another you know, had a certain style to which people either adhered or, or didn't, but it was understood to be a written expression. It seems to me that texting and some of the other digital uh, communications that we're talking about are sort of written approximations of spoken word speech. There's a way in which they should shouldn't seem too written. They should seem implicitly kind of oral, that some of the informality of oral communication needs to be preserved there. Am I making even the least bit of sense as I say all this?
2: I mean, absolutely. I really think um, the way we kind of communicate on social media is so different to how we would if we were writing a, a formal piece of writing. And I think it's that kind of, you you feel like you need to add warmth to it or, or perhaps show your sense of humor and i think that's why emojis have become such a huge thing because it's it's so important to kind of add perhaps more personality than you can in just plain text and you know personally i i'm constantly using emojis much to the embarrassment of my children because i often use the, the wrong ones um but you know i think they they do definitely add more of a, a kind of emotional flex to what I'm putting online, rather than just the plain words, which can look a bit stark. And, and you know, like has been mentioned, the full stop suddenly takes on this sort of ominous meaning, which it, it just doesn't have in the book.
1: Well, yeah. And I guess, you know, actually, the more I think about um, Julia's house, I, the more I think there's like, both people are using exclamation points all the time, uh, because your husband seems like <laughs> exclamation point person but i'm also imagining julia a situation where you get a text saying i just unloaded the dishwasher exclamation point and you write back great with a period Uh,
3: (laughs) i actually do have a story not about my husband but the seinfeld clip um reminded me uh when i had my daughter um my sister was living she was Hiking in Australia and uh, my she texted my brother did Julia have the baby, Um, and my brother's response was just born with a period, (laughs) and it was it just cracked us up because that is actually how he speaks and he's so serious and no exclamation points, um, in his speech. So I think, you know, it's really a matter of matching your punctuation to how you sound. And yes, everyone in my house is very animated. So we just have to accept as much as I want to be a serious writer and a serious person. Um, I, I need to be authentic with my emojis and my punctuation.
1: All right. We have to take a break right here. I'm screwing up the clock. We won't have enough time to talk about the future, but we'll, we'll have a future.
0: Sometimes things are more than mere command. Sing. Sing. That's when things become an exclamation. Yeah. 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 Add that oomph and they will understand. When you got a thought you want to proclaim.
1: All right. So we've been talking. First of all, I, would do, I have to do thank yous to uh, an exclamation point! Uh, thank you to Cat Pastor, our technical producer, who keeps everything humming here uh, in in all the good ways. Uh, and thanks to senior producer uh, Lily Tyson, who put this show together. I'm not sure what exclamation point yet uh, I will give Lily. Just I you don't know, like as a human being, but. Uh, right now, it's also an exclamation point. So uh, we're talking to, about punctuation to Claire Cox-Starkey. Her book is hyphens and hashtags, the stories behind the symbols. On our keyboard, two of our favorite writers, people, and guests, uh, Julia Pistel and Raquel Benedict, are, are with us. We have just a little bit of time left. But, Claire, we have to ask the question, do we have enough punctuation marks? Uh, do we need more? It seems as though we do live in an under, uh, uh, in, an era where communication, written communication or typed communication flies back and forth very fast with the potential for lots of misunderstandings. So I'm guessing the kind of the irony punctuation mark is the one that people are most likely to reach for if there's going to be a new mark.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, punctuation writing, it's ever evolving. It's always changing and it's going with the times. It's changing, you know, whether we're writing in a book or writing on social media. You know, people forget that these things have not been set in stone forever. You know, it's only sort of since the 20th century that we've kind of had these hard and fast rules and style guides coming out telling us how we should use punctuation. So I think there's always room for new marks. Um and I'm I'm open to the idea of things like an irony mark or a rhetorical question mark, but I've yet to be convinced that they actually work in the way you want them to work. I feel like people are going to snark whether you know about how you use it there's always going to be these disagreements with uh, whether you're actually being ironic i mean look at Alanis morissette <laughs>
1: Um, And actually, you could have punctuated that sentence. Look at Alana Morissette with some kind of irony uh, punctuation mark in in and of itself. So, Raquel, as we were sort of communicating before this uh, show, it seems as though your interest is piqued by the idea of something to indicate a rhetorical question, something to indicate an ironic statement. Say more.
4: I am strongly in favor of those things purely because if you are a woman on social media and you make any kind of ironic or rhetorical or sarcastic statement, everyone just instinctively assumes that you're being 100% sincere and unable to make a joke and they get really, really mad. So <laughs> I do think that some kind of marker saying, no, I'm kidding, would would be very handy to uh, avoid lots of angry people in my menches.
1: Well, you know, so I, I now Julia has to sort of wear several different uh, chapeaux at the same time here, because also as a purveyor of comedy, like the worst, mm-hmm. the worst thing in comedy is having to identify something as a joke, and particularly like in the kinds of improv comedy that you do, you know, there's the, it's such an interesting, fluid middle ground where things kind of become jokes. Uh, you know, we, we see the birth of them becoming jokes uh, as the audience right before our eyes. the The idea of getting into sort of diacritical marks and punctuation and this this here is a joke and here's how you know that must be Mm -hmm. a little bit irksome to you
3: yeah i'm actually much less of a fan of these ideas um as punctuation marks as punctuation marks that are more emotional um yeah i agree colin i think saying like this is sarcastic or this is a joke you know i think okay let's back up. We all know what happens when someone says, no offense, but dot, dot, (laughs) dot. (laughs) Um, And I think this is the opposite of that. It's just at the end of the sentence. So I would be curious to see how it would be used. I do think Raquel has a point. Um, And I'm, I think that emojis have come to serve that function. You know, the laughing, crying emoji, the shrug emoji, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm much more like things like the interobang that is like we speak like this now, so we should have punctuation for it. I think punctuation should catch up to the way that we speak um, rather than kind of like defend us um and our jokes.
1: Yeah. So the, the interobang is kind of a chimera manticore thing that's sort of an exclamation point and a question mark kind of fused uh, into one. You know, I mean, Claire, you should have the last word in all this. I, mean, I guess the question about new punctuation also is, who is it for? You know, is it for people who can't communicate well enough to, to make their intent clear? Uh, you know, I mean, who gets to decide? And, and, and I think, as you said at the beginning, there probably wouldn't be common agreement on what it meant to use this brand new punctuation mark.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like that is a really good question. Who does get to decide? Like it used to be the typesetters who decided, but now you know, with social media, I feel like so many more voices are out there. And so if someone suddenly decided to invent a crazy new mark and started deploying it all over the place, it could easily catch on. So perhaps let's throw it open to the public, come up with a new mark, start using it, pass it on, and let's see where we go.
1: All right. So we're going to have to stop there. I should have also said, I I feel like the show should be dedicated to a Connecticut resident named Charles Rosanay, who many years ago, perhaps in a fit of kind of Austin Powers era exuberance, uh, legally changed his name to Charles Rosanay, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. He has a name legally that has three exclamation points at the end. So, you know, I mean... He decided to be in the driver's seat for that one. Uh, Thanks to everybody for listening to our show. Claire Cox Starkey's book is uh, hyphens and hashtags, the stories behind the symbols on our keyboard. Uh, Julia Pastel, of course, one of the hosts of the Literary Disco podcast, founding member of CT Improv. Lots of other stuff. Raquel Benedict. Check out her podcast, The right, R-I-T-E, good, G-U-D, podcast. The most dangerous woman in speculative fiction uh, and the most dangerous woman in producing for the radio is definitely Lily Tyson, uh, who did a terrific job with this show. And thanks again to Kat. Thanks to you for listening, too. Recommend to your friends finding us on any podcast platform because that's where we are.